Well, good morning, family. Jesus loves you, and there is nothing you can do about it. If you are a guest or a curious skeptic with us this morning, we want to welcome you to Crossway. Uh, Grab your Bibles, guys. Uh, Open them up. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14 is where we are this morning. We are becoming a church that moves together at the speed of prayer. Uh, We want uh, talking to God together to become the normal way of doing church. Uh, In the verses that we are about to read, Jesus makes an extravagant promise uh, regarding his people uh, praying to him. So uh, please give your attention to the reading of God's word. John 14, 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a living God. In fact, you are the only living God, and you are a speaking God, and you are a listening God, and you are an acting, moving God. And so, Father, I want to ask right now that you would speak to us about who you are, about who we are, and about talking to you. For, Lord, We've been misshapen this week, and we need you to reshapen our soul into your image and likeness. So would you please do that through the Holy Spirit in the Holy Scripture, in the most sacred name of Jesus, we ask it, amen, amen. Each week, I've tried to address with Scripture a uh, cultural attitude or a uh, philosophy that has influenced all of us regarding prayer. Uh, Week one, it was consumerism. Uh, Week two, it was secularism. Week three, it was cynicism. Uh, Today, I want to address deism. There's a lot of of isms we got to address, huh? So today, we're going to address deism with scripture. Uh, Deism is a philosophy that comes from the Enlightenment era in Western history. If you were born and raised in America, you have been affected by deism. You have. You may not know, but you have. Deism is this philosophy, it's a belief that there is a God that exists, and this God is an almighty God, and that he created the entire universe. He created the world that we live in. Uh, but this particular God, who created this, uh, he created this universe with fixed uh, scientific laws and with rational logic uh, to run the universe mechanically, to run the world automatically, Kind of like a clock. He's designed the clock, and he's wound up the clock, and it just kind of runs now. This God does not interact with us. 
because there is no need for him to interact with us. He's designed it, and it's, it's running now, right? This God does not care about what happens to his creation. He's, he's the man upstairs. He, he did all the really big, uh, important stuff, and now it is up to us to do the mundane, less important, uh, everyday stuff with the brains that he gave for us to use. See, God helps those that help themselves. That's deism in a nutshell. How, how does God help you? He gave you a brain, so use it. That's how God helps you. But he doesn't interact with this world. And that's different than theism. This is deism. In short, there is no reason to pray to this God if you are a deist. And deism has affected Christianity in the West more than we realize, and it's particularly in the life of everyday uh, Christians. I was just thinking about this after my dad shared a story about his annual golf trip that he takes. Uh, you see, each year my dad heads out, uh, he, he has a, heads out with a variety of different Christian men, and they're from, actually from different churches, different ministry organizations, different missionary organizations. They all decide, like, we're going to get together and get to know each other every year on a golf trip. Uh, there's nothing major planned. It's just fun. It's encouragement. They might read the Bible at night. But anyway, after a few days, you start to get to know one another on these trips. On one particular trip, one of the guys in his foursome was, uh, you know, he's teeing up to begin the day of golf. He hadn't, done, he hadn't done that good that week, and he's getting ready to tee up that day. And my dad just uh, puts his hand on his friend's back, and he quietly prays, Lord, and that's the only word he said. Lord, that's the only word he could get out of his mouth. This man whipped around, knocked my dad's hand off of his shoulder, and started barking at him loudly. My theology tells me God doesn't care about something as small as a game of golf. God doesn't care if I win this game. God doesn't care if I lose this game or how badly I play. Don't you ask God to help me play golf today. Uh, the man yelled so loud and so long that other golfers on other holes stopped playing and turned around and started to stare at them. It was this big a commotion. He just wouldn't calm down. I mean, he went on and on. And the dad just said, okay. Finally, my dad asked him, listen, where exactly is the line between something that is too small to concern God and it crosses over that line to be big enough to concern God? Where exactly is that line? And the man didn't have a response. See, guys, that is functional deism. You can say you're a theist all you want, but out on the golf course, see, he's functioning like a deist. Does this make sense? We don't bother God. We don't bother God except for with the biggest and the most spiritual of needs that we have. You know, the salvation of souls. And that's it. Because that's the only thing that's eternal value. But what we need to see in the Gospel of John, in this passage that we've read today, is that Jesus wants to save our prayers from the God of deism. Because that God doesn't exist. Okay? 
The big idea today is that Jesus gave his people an extravagant promise so that we would pray our way through our day. Jesus gave his people an extravagant promise so that we would pray our way through our day. So what we're going to do is we're just going to unpack each of the phrases of verse 14. That's really all we're doing is verse 14 today, okay? We're going to take it phrase by phrase. And I just want to mention again uh, in this message that I'm leaning on some of the insights from um, Paul Miller you know, in his book, A Praying Life, okay? So I just want to kind of cite my sources, all right? But first of all, we learn that Christ offers, Christ's offer in prayer is ask me anything. Christ's offer in prayer is ask me anything. Je- Jesus at least seems to be handing us a blank check here. His invitation, his promise are so extravagant that we naturally recoil a little bit when we hear this, right? We kind of want to like, like rescue Jesus from Jesus, right? I mean, surely Jesus doesn't mean that we can ask anything of him. I mean, surely he's not saying that. I mean, he must be referring to just ministry requests. I mean, he must be referring just to, like, personal sanctification. That's, that's the kind of stuff I can ask him anything about. Or, or you know, the spreading of the gospel across the globe. Uh, you know, the big things that obviously glorify the Father. And to be sure, there are two dangers uh, when we pray. One danger is to not ask. Okay? to quickly, almost immediately resign ourselves to whatever happens in our life is just God's will. So I'm not going to ask. Uh, the other danger is to ask him selfishly and demandingly. And so you can fall, we can fall off the ditch on either side. Does this make sense? James, the brother of Jesus, uh, actually clarifies these two dangers in prayer in James 4, verses 2 Uh, through three, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. See, that's the one ditch. You want to know why you don't have? You didn't ask. Okay, verse three, here's the other ditch. You ask and you don't receive, right? So you ask, but you don't have. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And we have to know what he means by passions. But here's the idea. Not asking and asking selfishly are both errors that keep us from the living God. Not asking, that's deism, where the God doesn't care or interact with us at all. And selfishly, demandingly asking is paganism. Uh, Paganism, in the pagan worldview, the God or the gods, see, they hold all the blessings, like little pieces of candy in a pinata, Okay, And the God is the piñata. And all the blessings that you and I need to survive and need to live and need to function in life, they're like the little candy. And it's hidden inside the God. It's just trapped in there. This God doesn't actually want to give us good gifts. Doesn't want to give us the blessings that we need to live. And so we have to pry the blessings out of God's hands. And prayer is actually like a really big stick that we smack God with. That's the purpose of prayer, right? 
And so we say the right words, smack. And we say them in the right order, smack. And we keep saying them over and over, smack, 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 until God relents and all the blessings fall down and we go and grab them until the next time. Can you kind of visualize that? Visualize that? See, in both views of God, God is either impersonal or he is detached. There's no relationship. He doesn't really care. We're just getting something from him. But Jesus gives us a third way. Jesus is always about the third way. The third way is this. Ask me anything. Ask me anything. Come into a relationship with me, get this, through your asking. Know who I am through asking me what you want and what you need, and you will get to know me, and that's what I want for you. See, Jesus is letting us know that he personally responds to our ask. He is a personal near God. There is a dynamic relationship that is at work when we pray to him. It is not mechanical. If I do the input, then output, right? If I do this and this and this and this happens. You know, there is a relationship that is dynamic. It's ebb and flow. He wants us to know this. Jesus makes this seemingly unqualified invitation many times in the scriptures. So this is not like just like a, a one-off. He like accidentally let this thing slip out of his mouth or something. Ask me anything. The question is, why not make a more balanced statement like James does? Why doesn't he do that here? Or anywhere in the Gospel of John? Could it be because we just don't believe that God is as generous as he says he is? Could it be that we don't believe like my dad's friend that God actually wants to help us in every part of our life? I think so. Here's what Miller says. Quote, All of Jesus' teachings on prayer in the Gospels can be summarized with one word. Ask. His greatest concern is that our failure or a reluctance to ask keeps us distant from God. One of the best ways to abide in Christ is to ask anything. Jesus adds the qualifier, abide in me, only once in the six times that he told us to ask anything. His primary concern was to get us into the game. Start asking. Don't ask for just spiritual things or, quote, good things, before you can abide, the real you has to meet the real God. Ask anything. Close quote. Now, people often think that they must pre-screen their prayers. Is this anybody or just me? You got to pre-screen your prayers by applying the category of needs versus wants. And a lot of us, that's the, that, like, that is the category we use, and there is no other. Needs versus wants. And it's going to help clarify whether they should even begin to pray about something. And i got to tell you, I find those categories only to be slightly helpful. 
And here's why. I'm not sure if what I I want is really a want or even a need. I'm not sure of that in the moment when I go to God in prayer. And even when I do finally determine that something is actually a genuine need that I need, I can't be sure what I need to even ask him for. I'll give you an example. Let's say my car starts leaking oil. It's got an oil leak. mechanic says it's going to cost you a million dollars to track this down and fix the oil leak. Okay? So I got a problem. I got to stop the oil from leaking or I don't have a car. And we need a car to have transportation to go to the hospital and go to work. And go, you see what I'm saying? We need, this is a legitimate need. Now, what do I need to pray for? That's only slightly helpful, right? Do I need to pray that God supernaturally plugs the hole? Do I need to pray that God supplies a million dollars so that a professional can fix it the right way? Do I need to pray that God will help me trade it in and get a new car? Do I need to pray that God, you know, do I need to pray for a brand new car that has no problems because he could do that? Or do I need to pray for like a year's worth of bus passes for Kitsap Transit? Like, like how low does the need go? Like how, like how far down do I degrade this need? See, even though I've determined it's a need, I still even, I'm lost. I don't know what I need to pray for. Does this make sense? Additionally, as if that wasn't enough, I'll give you something else. Additionally, those categories, needs for wants, they imply that we cannot want what we need. See, they are, they are absolutely different categories. We can't ever want what we need because if, if we do actually want what we need, then it must not really be a need because we've been trained we never want what we need. See, the grid starts to break down when this is your absolute only category that you use. It's only marginally helpful. And, and get this, while all that's going on up here, do you know what's not happening? You're not praying. In the meantime, using those two categories actually prevents me from actually opening my mouth and talking to God and abiding in Him. So here's what I think is actually a better category. Help. Help. Like a child, I'm pretty aware that I need help with God in everything. Right? I need help in spiritual matters, and I need help in physical matters. I need help making a a whole array of decisions, small and large and medium-sized decisions. I need help in buying things. I need help in saving for things. I need help in going to sleep at night. I need help waking up for the next day and wanting to go in to do what I need to do. I need help in reading my Bible. Even if though I really want to read my Bible, I still need help reading my Bible and remembering what I read. I need help in listening to people in conversations. Even people I like and find very interesting, I need help keeping my concentration in those conversations at times. Help is a much more useful category to get me in the game of praying my way through the day. Does this make sense? Are you tracking with me? When I ask for help, God is always glorified, right? For when I am weak, he is strong. Okay? Guys, we have a God that wants us to know him, so he invites us to come as we are to him and expose our heart to him, expose our real desires to him. So start with what we want. This is what my heart wants. I don't know if it's right or not, but here's where I start. 
Not to come with pre-screened and pious-sounding requests as if he's going to be like, proud of us for doing that. Not to, not to come with him with like, very small, manageable, I know you're saving people in China, but I kind of need you to help me hear requests. Like, as if like, that's going to get him to answer us like you do with your mom and dad. No. He invites us to boldly ask him anything we need and then just see how he responds. You guys tracking with me on this? Secondly, Christ assists us in prayer through his name. Christ assists us in prayer through his name. Now, in my name, there are two ways to interpret this phrase, in my name. It can mean in keeping with the character and the purpose of a person. So um, think of an ambassador. Ambassador from a nation goes to another nation. They do not represent themselves as an individual. They're not an individual. They represent a greater body, right? They represent a leader, and they represent another nation. They do not come in their name. They come in the name of a nation to fulfill its purpose and that leader's purpose, not their own purpose, right? So on this view, Jesus means that all of our prayers that are in alignment with his character and purpose of his kingdom are guaranteed to be answered. In my name can also mean a recognition as we pray that the only way our prayers even make it to God's ears and are found acceptable to God is through Jesus Christ. In context of what Jesus has just said about himself being the only way to the Father, earlier in verse 4, this makes sense also. Okay? So I'm sure there's two ways legitimately to understand this. Or maybe, just maybe, Jesus is being intentionally vague here, and he means for both meanings to inform each other concerning our prayer requests. And I think that's what he's doing. I think Jesus' main goal here, guys, is to get us to pray our way through the day, to have a praying life. He wants us, he wants us talking to him to be the way of life for a Christian and Jesus gives us two wonderful motivations to pray when he says this phrase, in my name. Ask me anything in my name. He's given us these wonderful motivations. And one of them is this. Jesus gets our prayer there. <laughs> Jesus gets your prayer there. Isn't that a comforting, assuring word? We ask anything standing only on the name of Jesus and on nothing else. We acknowledge, maybe in our prayer we acknowledge, that there is no authority in ourselves to have God hear our prayers, but only because of the perfect, righteous life of Jesus Christ. We're not taking the stick and smacking the pinata because we said it just like this and now you've got to do this for me. We're not, we have no power. We have no authority. I am only coming to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I admit that humbly. Right? Jesus assists us by getting our prayer to God's ears. Okay? Listen, 
That means not one of our prayers goes to voicemail. Isn't that great? Not one gets filtered to the junk box. And not one gets lost on the way to the king. Jesus is the only way that our prayers get to God every time. There is not another way, right? Another motivator he gives us is this. Jesus makes our prayer better. Jesus does something on the way with the package. He makes the prayer better. Jesus says in verse 13 that he will answer our prayers. Why? So that the Father may be glorified. See, he knows that our prayers are weak, they're partially informed, and playing wrong-headed requests at times. He knows that about you and me, right? And so while it is good to discern why you want what you want from God, there is, there is something good about doing that. It should not freeze us out from actually opening our mouth and praying to God. It should not paralyze us. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, the good news is that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, does the work of making our prayers God-glorifying because that is the only kind of prayers that he answers. Look at Romans 8, 26 and 27. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps. You need a helper even when you pray. Did you know that? And he gives you one. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Well, what is our weakness? For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Can you picture this? The package gets changed, and what was deficient in it is no longer deficient by the time it gets to the Father's ears. You understand what I'm saying? Can you picture this happening? This is a great help. Good news, brothers and sisters. You will ask for the wrong thing sometimes, (laughs) and the Spirit of Christ will make your requests righteous. And he will make your request acceptable to the Father. Listen, he will answer the prayer you wish you had prayed so that both the Father is glorified and you are satisfied. Can I say that again? If you want to write that down, you ought to write it down. That's a hint. He will answer the prayer you wish you had prayed so that both the Father is glorified and you are satisfied because he can multitask. Amen. So what? That's real cute, but so what? So start praying your way through the day. Boldly ask him anything, believing that he will change your request into the one that he will do, that he will answer. Guys, are you getting this? You can't lose. You cannot lose when you pray, okay? The only way you can lose is if you don't pray. The only way you can lose is if you live like a deist. 
That's good news. Someone ought to say amen. That is good news. Christ's offer in prayer is ask me anything. Christ assists us in prayer through his name. And Christ assures us in prayer that he will answer us. He assures us in prayer that he will answer us. Now, whenever God says, I will or I shall in the scriptures, that ought to make your heart flutter just a little bit. You ought to get kind of excited because God is making a promise. And God makes promises so that his people can make use of them to help them obey. That's one of the purposes of promise. They are given to you and me to help us obey God. And so we need to know them and make use of them. God wants us to pray. So he motivates us with this extravagant promise. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Not might do it. Not if you've put me in a good mood first, I'll do it. Not I'll do it only on Fridays. No, he says, I will do it. I will give you an answer. This is some wonderful assurance to motivate us to pray, guys. Anytime, this is a side note, anytime you have a certain idea or theology of God, and it prevents you from obeying him or prevents you from doing what he says, that, you ought to check your theology. So the promises are supposed to motivate you to do this, not say, oh, well, it's going to happen. You see what I'm saying? I don't need to do this. No, it's to motivate you to get in the game. Okay? Jesus wants you and I to believe that he answers us when we call every time. So he tells us that there is nothing that we cannot ask. There is nothing that is off the table in this conversation. And then he assures us that every prayer makes it to the Father. Why? Because he is the way to the Father and because he will transform our request into the right one, the one we ought to have prayed, the one we should have prayed. Therefore, therefore, he will do it. He will do it. He will answer us in some form or in some fashion, and he will answer in his perfect timing, not necessarily our timing or what we want, but listen, he will answer us. He will respond. That's the promise. Pastor Timothy Keller explains this like this. This is so great. It says, quote, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked had we known everything that he knows. And this is the safety catch on prayer. Without it, wise people would never pray again. We must have the assurance that God will answer the basic desire but find a form and a mode that is not Harmful, close quote. Aren't you glad God's not a genie? He just gives you exactly what you said in the wording that you said it. That is a mean God. Now he's far better than that. This is the safety catch, guys. God's answer may be one big, miraculous yes to all the prayers that you've prayed. Or it may be 15 smaller yeses spread over the course of six months. Or... His answer may be, not yet, 
but keep coming, keep asking, keep abiding, and then I'll give you the answer when the time is right. Or his answer may be no, not in the form you're asking, but yes, in a different form you haven't even thought to ask me for yet. But regardless, he has promised to answer every time. You need to believe that. It means what he says. It will affect your prayers. Uh, I want to share a little bit of a personal story with you. For years and years, I wanted to start my own church. This was not some emotional, young person's flash-in-the-pan desire. I thought this was the course of my life. For years, I read books and blogs, and I listened to lectures on why to plant churches and how to actually do the, do the process of actually practically planting churches from the absolute best practitioners that were in the field at the time. Just research all the time. I thought this was where I was going. And one day, I was driving home on Farm Road 205 in Rogersville, Missouri. I'll never forget it. It was in that week between Christmas Day and New Year's. That's a special kind of time right there. December 27th, 2010. And God clearly answered my hundreds of prayers. And God said, you will not be a church planter, Chad. That is not for you. You will never plant a church. I want you to stop spending your time researching that. You've done enough. I have something better for you, but you must let go of that future first. And then I'll show you. So trust me. Um, Guys, the clarity hit me with such force that I had to uh, pull my car into a ditch because I was sobbing. It was unmistakable. Um, it literally was the death of a dream. And it hurt. I felt like God just killed something that was precious to me. And I had been aiming my life at it. But you know what happened? At the very same moment, at the very, I mean, congruently with that feeling, I was so thankful that God was keeping me from something that could have possibly destroyed me, possibly destroyed my family's life. I was so overwhelmed with gratitude that he was preventing me from wasting any more time and wasting my life. It was a kindness that he was doing for me. And I was overwhelmed with gratitude for that. And I said, God, I mean, I remember I'm on the side of the road. I said, God, I am so sad right now. And I am completely overjoyed that you answered my request. Thank you. I'll give you an excerpt of what I wrote in my, in my journal on that day. Uh, December 27, 2010. God has specifically told me that I'm not to be a church planner. I am not that guy, and he will never call me to do that. Also, God has specifically told me that he has something else, something better for me. And what that looks like, and when that ha will happen, I do not know. I feel like I need more clarity, but God has hidden it from me.
maybe God wants me to engage him in prayer in what little he has revealed to me. It's worth an experiment next year. And so I did. I tried an experiment. I engaged God in prayer with what I did know. Five years of engaging him in prayer. Five years later, God gave me something better than what I asked for, and it was in a form that I could not even have asked him for when he brought me here to Crossway. I love it. Guys, what I'm telling you is that in John 14, Jesus is promising that God will not ignore our requests. Okay? God will always always, always give us a response that glorifies him and satisfies us. This is not just a Bible lesson to me. It it ought not to be just a Bible lesson for you. This is a way of life, guys. It is real. It is true. How can you be sure that he'll do this? How can you be sure? Because Jesus is after our joy. Our joy in him, but our joy. He wants us to find joy in knowing God is really the living God, the listening God, the acting God, the God that sees you and me and moves in our life. He hears and he responds to us. He wants you to know that that is the real God because that's what's going to give you real joy, joy that doesn't perish. Look at John 16, 24. Jesus says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask. Look, he's practically begging. Ask. (laughs) Ask. (laughs) Ask and you might receive. Is that what it says? No. It's the I wills and the I shalls. God's talking. Ask and you will receive. And here's why. Here's the purpose. Here's the end goal. That your joy may be full. Jesus is serious about your joy in him. He wants your joy in him. So here's kind of how this goes. We ask God. We ask him anything, right? God either answers the, the request or he gives us something better. We, in turn, go, wow, we experience joy because we now see that God has actually heard our prayers. All 157 of them. He heard them, every one of them. He's actually heard us. He's actually actively listening and responding and moving. There's a real dynamic relationship happening here and that gets us excited And so what do we want to do in response to that? We want to draw closer to that living God, that real living, loving God who listens and hears and acts on our behalf through talking more frequently to him, through praying over more (laughs) minutia as well as big dreams, right? And around we go in this beautiful cycle. And this is the pattern of the praying life, guys. See, not only has God promised not to ignore us when we call out for help, Remember, because I said, that's a better category. I need help. Not only has God promised not to ignore us, but God has actually promised to neither trick us either in the answers that he gives to us. Isn't that a comfort? You remember what we learned last week? God is what? He's our father, right? He's not your uncle that loves to tease you, right? He's your father that loves you. God is our father, who only gives us what is good for us. If we ask for bread, he does not trick us with a scorpion. But you know what? 
the reverse is true as well. Even when we ask for scorpions, even when we ask to be a church planter, he will only give us bread. Isn't that comforting? What an assurance. What a good God. God will answer our prayers in a way that glorifies the Father and satisfies us. Why? So that our joy may be full. Because that's what he wants for you and me. Nothing is off the table to ask him. Hey, so ask him. (laughs) Nothing. He, He will always give us an answer. So ask him. He will only answer in a way that brings us joy. So ask him. Let's get to know Jesus by asking him anything in his name. Amen? I love you, and God loves you too. Let's pray now. God, your word is so wonderful, and you are so beautiful. We thank you that you're a living, hearing, responding, acting God who draws us into a dynamic relationship with you, not just a philosophy, not just principles, but you're doing something in us and in this world. You do change people. You do change nations. You do change um, loved ones. You do change things, not just us, but things out there in the world. You're very much connected to your creation, and you tell us to ask you anything in your name, and you will do it. Scott, I pray right now for those of us that are not even asking, we're hurt or we're disillusioned, Lord, I pray that you'd get us in the game, that your words would come alive like firebombs, and we would just say, okay, I'm going to put you to the test. I'm going to start asking. And Lord, that we, we would believe, those of us that are praying, that we would be watchful in it. We'd, we'd watch for you to move, because you don't always give us exactly what we pray for, and thank you, Lord, you don't give us exactly the way we word it. But you will always answer us. So help us be on a watch. Help us be looking out for your hand that is moving. Help us not grow weary in doing good and seeking you. You're a good father and you only give us bread. You don't give us scorpions. We thank you for that. Help us trust you. Help us trust you with everything in our life. We pray it in the sacred name of Jesus. Amen.